Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and now on today's episode, I have Alison Gannett. Alison is a self-sufficient farmer, a world champion extreme free skier, and she's also an amazing brain, uh, brain cancer survivor, which is why I've got her on, to show, on the show today. Thank you so much, Alison, for coming on. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I, I was saying before we started recording how I knew you had a good story, but I didn't realize how good your story really was uh, when I was doing my research on you. And so the, the real reason um, I wanted to speak to you was because you, you have managed to uh, conquer brain cancer at this stage using a ketogenic diet and your story is just amazing so i think if we could maybe start anywhere just with your how you first figured out you actually have a problem like brain cancer well you know being an extreme free skier i jump off cliffs for a living um i did notice that my depth perception was off and when I was mountain biking, um, it also seemed strange. Like I couldn't tell the difference between six foot drop and like six inches. But I was thinking, well, maybe I'm getting older. You know, you make up a lot of excuses when things are going wrong. But one day, uh, I, two big things happened. I had the biggest keynote presentation of my life for Microsoft in Las Vegas. And this was talking about skiing and conquering your dreams and all this stuff. Um, I forgot to get on the plane. Then when I did get on the plane, I forgot to go to the presentation. When they finally dragged me up on stage, I don't even remember what I said. It's a miracle I didn't die that day. Somehow I got home and then a couple days later, I was cooking bacon in the kitchen and I was it caught on fire and it, the flames were going up to the ceiling. And my husband walked in the door and I was just sitting on the co couch and I was just mesmerized by the flames and I, I wasn't doing anything. And for anybody who knows me, you know, I'm kind of an overachiever or, or I used to be. Um, and so that was very strange for me to just sit down and watch anything happening. And it turns out I had a, you know, some giant tumor. If you look at the, you can put a screenshot up there of the size of the tumor. It took up like almost my entire brain. It was like over... Uh, it was somewhere between an apple and a grapefruit when they took it out. And it was pressing on certain areas of my brain that were leading to the dysfunctions that I was experiencing. But it was really, really amazing that I was alive, period. Uh, what had happened was that it was starting to press on the two blood vessels that come into the brain. And once it does that, you basically just drop dead. And the other thing that was occurring is I was falling asleep while driving all the time. And I was kind of aware of it, but kind of not. And one time I was going over Red Mountain Pass on my way to Silverton, Colorado. And it's it's where people die all the time normally driving. And I was in a snowstorm and I must have fallen asleep like 20 or 30 times. And I would wake up and not know how long I had been asleep. And the cliff was like 3,000 feet on to my side with no guardrail so wow you are very a very lucky <laughs> i am a very very fortunate person yeah so already there i think that's um such good information because people always assume oh if i've got a tumor then i'm going to have a headache 
and it's this terrible headache that's creating a tumor. But you're, I did have that too. But yeah. you know, you you justify all these things that are happening to you. Um, you know, I see it all the time. You know, I think it's just human nature that we think that we have to old, grow old and have aches and pains and headaches and um, lack of energy. And I think a lot of that is due to, you know, our current chemical soup that we live in and, you know, the food that we're eating. And I thought I was eating fantastically well. Um, I was eating off our organic food. I was growing and raising all my own food when I actually got sick. But I had no idea, like I was eating what the USDA, the US government is saying that we should eat, you know, many servings of whole grains and, um, you know, all that stuff has sugar in it. Yeah. So, yeah, because um, when I was doing my research on you, you said you've gone through lots of different diets and we'll get to that point where, I mean, as a, I would say you're a biohacker because you've got so much information just about yourself and you tweaked so many parameters and watched what your blood work was doing, which was incredible. So you, I remember the one slide you showed, like, this is me on paleo, this is me on this <laughs> diet. Um, yeah, so how many, so you were saying when, when you first got diagnosed, um, you were on a typical diet, but a very organic diet because uh, yeah. you were growing your own food. And then did you go straight into a ketogenic diet or did you try lots of different diets before you got to a ketogenic diet? You know, I actually, you know, I could probably blame a lot of my cancer on the fact that I was a carboholic most of my life and I was a very poor eating vegetarian. Uh, for probably 15 years on or off, I was you know, eating vegetarian. Then when I discovered, so then I transitioned to organic in about 2009, which would have been about four years before cancer. I went all organic, ruined raised all my own food, including, including my own grains. Um, and at that point I got diagnosed and I was like, well, obviously something's not going right here with what I think I should be eating. And I read Chris Carr's book, Crazy Sexy Cancer. So I immediately went vegan. And uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, the vegan diet that I was eating and that I see for most of my clients now is inadvertently not meaning to be high in natural sugars. So my blood sugar soared. Uh, I didn't know this. I didn't have a doctor at this point that to guide me. I was kind of just grasping for straws on the internet because I was basically given a terminal malignant diagnosis and, you know, I'm given a year to live with this type of cancer. And I knew that, um, you know, going the standard route and living one year through chemo and radiation and dying a horrible death was just not something I wanted to do. I wanted to do better than that. So uh, after the vegan stint, I found my doctor, and that's Dr. Nasha Winters, and she's virtual. I actually, uh, I call her more of like a conductor. Like, imagine all the players of um, all my neurologists and oncologists and uh, massage folks and Reiki and EFT and, you know, the whole team. That's the symphony, and Dr. Nasha is kind of the director up at the top, and She's fantastic. I did a four-day workshop with her on cancer. And what immediately drew me to her was the fact that she's a biohacker. I mean, you would go crazy talking to her. She's nuts for data. And 
you know, my family was immediately like, well, what do you mean you're not going to do chemo and radiation? And, and I, I was like, here's the data online. If I do chemo and radiation, I'm going to live a shorter life than if I don't. So that here's the statistics on that. And then I said, look at Dr. Nation's approach with Optimal Terrain Consulting. She she basically has people with my diagnosis that are alive, you know, 10, 20 years and doing great. And I loved her approach because it was looking at the root causes of cancer and then undoing them one at a time. And she has a phenomenal book that just came out called The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. And it really goes into the 10 different areas that most people that drive 99.9% of all our cancers today. And you just have to do some really cool um, sleuthing. Um, and with her help, you know, you look into labs and you look into DNA and you look into food sensitivities and hormones and thyroid. And, you know, the list just keeps going and going. And after a while, you know, I, I just was like, oh, this is just a big puzzle and you're putting the pieces together. And she's like, don't forget two things. Normal gave you cancer. So you don't want to have normal. And then uh, so we, we had to invent a new normal for me. And also no stone unturned because a lot of people that I do diet uh, consulting with, like I do ketogenic diet consulting now because I went back to school. I was so amazed that I was alive and doing so well. I was like, why not help other people? So I trained with Dr. Nasha. But a lot of people think like, oh, it's just the ketogenic diet and then I'm going to be cured. Cancer's not that simple. Mm. It's, it's a layer. I think of it as an onion. And you peel off one layer of the onion and you find another one. And then you find another one and you find another one. And I did my initial consult with Dr. Nasha in 2013, just two months after I was diagnosed. And I am still working on her 75-page report that she gave me. You know, wow. and now it's almost five years later. So yeah, so that so that's amazing. So because you got your diagnosis in twenty thirteen, was it? Yeah. Okay. So th- yeah, I mean, just coming back to your story, then. Um, so you were there watching the fire, and your husband rushes you off to a hospital, thinking this is something's wrong with my wife here, because mm-hmm. he must have known about the Microsoft story too, saying you just bombed on the stage. You didn't quite know what was going on, or were they had to? Yeah. My family thought I was depressed and we have a family history of migraines. So, um, you know, my husband and I live alone on 80 acre farm in the middle of nowhere. So not a lot of people were watching this odd behavior of mine. Mm. And so my husband thought that I was trying to get rid of him for some reason. And I was just trying to be super annoying and super unhelpful. And that way he would want to divorce me. I mean, we come up with a lot of weird stories yeah. when, when we don't you know, know what's, things what the, go what, wrong. And then, so you got rushed in and immediately that day, was it, or that evening, they already had to do brain surgery on you to remove the tumor, was it? Or the next by the next day, they had, they, they rushed well, you the in? Well, ER doctor was making jokes because I looked so normal. Um, truth be told, I don't remember being in the ER at all. Um, so I was appearing normal, but I was virtually not there. Mm. And then the doctor comes back. I don't remember this. This is all stories from my husband. He has the CAT scan. And of course, you know, the tumor takes up most of my brain and, you know, his whole face falls. And he hands the scan to my husband and says, well, 
you know, bring her in on Monday and we'll get her, you know, in with a, a non-oncologist or a, neurolo a neuro-oncologist. And my husband's like, come back on Monday. I mean, this looks like crazy. Um, but they were planning to have surgery at my local hospital, which is a decent hospital, but my family knows enough about medicine and doing research on your doctors to be like, hey, brain surgery is really serious. It can kill you. And uh, luckily, my family, you know, started calling everybody they knew that knew anybody that was a brain surgeon, started looking online. And uh, they, we found two really good places to have surgery, either in Boston, Massachusetts, or in Aurora, Colorado. And so unfortunately, I wasn't a prior patient for any of these doctors. And so the only solution we had was uh, to drive to the ER at uh, the doctor in Colorado. And my sister happened to uh, call uh, the doctor and he actually called her back on a Sunday because he saw the CAT scan. And he was like, holy, you know. <laughs> yeah. He was like, okay, you know, bring her here. She's not a patient. We're going to, you know, we're going to have her admitted in the ER and then we're going to make her become my patient. And uh, they actually put me on really high dose steroids for, I don't remember, a day or two because the tumor was so engorged. Now, knowing what I know that uh, steroids can actually further the growth of cancer through driving blood sugars up. You know, I would have taken something like Boswellia instead, or, you know, there's a bunch of um, anti-swelling things to take. Uh, but anyway, I had the surgery. They got the primary tumor, most of it out, and they just left a little piece here, uh, which I call, affectionately call Junior. And I was super upset about Junior for the first couple of years, actually, but now I just consider him my barometer and anytime I want to cheat on the diet, which I really don't want to, it has to be delicious. So, oh. um, yeah, because yeah. it, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen the pictures of when you shared your scans and we are, I, I mean, when you said that, that brain surgeon said, oh my, because it is huge and, <laughs> and it is a miracle to say that, wow, there's, there was that, that mass was removed from your brain and you're still here today. Yeah. That's incredible. It's insane. And, um, now I hear all these, uh, tales of people having brain surgery and then having a lot of problems with either neuropathy or, um, you know, they can't smell or they can't see correctly or they can't hear correctly or they have paralysis on one side. But luckily, the only thing I got is I have a new inability to not be able to spell, Okay, I, which is brand new. Um, I, I was never a good speller, but I'm not as bad as I am now. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I was interested. So you, you had this removed and then you chose not to do any chemotherapy or any radiotherapy after. So you just had the surgery to remove the mass and that was it. Well, they did the surgery and they said, this is so invasive. We need you to go recover for six months because, you know, six this was, months. yeah, wow. they said, you know, the surgery was so invasive and they were worried about infection. They were worried about seizures. Most people I talk to aren't sent home for six months um, before they, and I think it's because in their mind, they got most of the primary tumor. Um, and they were hoping that junior was not 
another malignant tumor. And that's what I think they were thinking. Um, but it was interesting because I had that time, you know, me and Dr. Google, Google were friends and they never told me it was cancerous. They never told me it was malignant. They never told me most likely I would have a year to live. They never told me any of that. They basically sent me home, said really successful surgery. Everything looks good. You're young and healthy, you know, no problem. You got this. Then I go home and find out like, they didn't tell me anything like for real. And I find this to be really common. And I think it's really misleading when people are given, um, you know, well, you should do chemo and you should do radiation or you should do this or you should do that. The important question that I didn't know to ask, which Dr. Nasha taught me to ask is given uh, a similar person with a similar diagnosis, similar surgery, similar tumor, how many of those people are alive in one year, two years, four years, five years, 10 years, 20 years? Because when you ask that question of your oncology team, they have to answer it for one, because oftentimes they're just, just trying to be nice and trying to be positive. Mm-hmm. And, but then you want to ask that question if you do this kind of treatment or don't do this type of treatment, what are my outcomes going to be? And statistically, for my type of tumor, you live uh, 75% of a shorter life with chemo and radiation than you do if you did nothing at all but surgery. Now, every cancer is different, but given those statistics, you know, they kept telling me things like, Oh, you know, for we have a lot of success with this type of tumor. Well, it turns out success in the medical world means that you live one day past your expected death. That could even be one minute past your expected death. So if you're expected to live 18 months and you live 18 months and one hour, then that goes down in the medical books as this was a successful surgery, radio, chemotherapy protocol. Mm, So, you know, that really was misleading to me because they kept throwing out, you know, success. And and they do that to terminal malignant patients like myself every day. And the problem is, is they know what success means, but they don't tell us. I don't know if they assume we know or they don't want to tell us how fatal our condition is. Yeah, I guess it's twofold where they have their own medical definition of the word success, um, but they're also trying to maybe instill hope in a very um, dire situation to people. They're trying to, yeah, so um, yeah, but that's that's good information already. I think for people to to hear stories, Um, because personally, we've um, in our family, we've we've got a a a friend who got uh, she had breast cancer, and now she got then she got diagnosed with brain cancer, and she's she did the I believe the radiotherapy, and then she's had a stroke from the radiotherapy now, and um, I I saw this is before I knew all your full story, but I did already say to her then, you know, please just look deeper into say the ketogenic diet and options there, and that's that's also another story uh, reason why I wanted to also get you on because I'd, I'd love for anyone who's going through a similar situation like you did, or a family member who's got someone who's going through that, just to. Ha- be a little bit more empowered with some knowledge that you could share about the situation. And I think you already, you, you've shared some amazing stuff that they should be asking their oncology yeah. team. Um, so 
I'm, I'm envisioning now, so you've just had this major surgery. Your husband brought you home to recover from this. Um, and then you said you managed to, uh, you started a, a vegan diet, which was unfortunately slightly natural, naturally higher in natural sugars. And then you got onto your functional medicine doctor. Um, and she immediately put you on a ketogenic diet, did she? She did. Yeah. And she and- said... Um, you know, certain every person's different and every cancer is different, which is why her approach really resonated to me. We were, I think there was a group of 12 of us that were having this four day uh, retreat with her and she would bring out examples and be like, this is one person's blood work and this is what, where their inflammation is high and this is where their blood sugar is high But, you know, everybody's blood work was different and everybody's DNA was different. So there wasn't like a cancer diet. It was more like we need anti-inflammation diet for everybody. And different types of cancers have different appetites for sugar, like pancreatic and brain cancer are the highest appetite for sugar. And then you have a lot of like breast cancers, a lot of times are driven by high estrogen Other cancers are a lot of times driven by high uh, environmental toxins like leukemia. And so you really need to, what I loved about her immediately was like, these are your statistics and these are the reasons that you got cancer. And so this is how we're going to reverse them one by one. And I just love that. I'm a science girl. You know, I didn't want like, hippy dippy ooby groovy approach, although I believe in all that for support. Um, I wanted to see on paper that I was more healthy than I was last month and that that would keep progressing. And it's fascinating because I do have like vegetarian, vegan, paleo, keto, you know, you can see the difference in my body as the changes are implemented. But we really have to get away from the one size fits all like cancer diet thought. You know, ketogenic diet, if anybody tries it, it's certainly going to lower your blood glucose, which is going to decrease the availability of sugar for cancer cells because cancer cells are metabolically inflexible. They're broken cells. Their mitochondria is damaged. And so those cancer cells can only ferment glucose. So the interesting tidbit I've heard many times is that we have um, five grams of sugar in our bloodstream at any given time. And so what the ketogenic diet does, which is so amazing, if you do a therapeutic ketogenic diet, which is not the ketogenic diet for weight loss or bodybuilding, you know, it's really important to make that difference. Um, We're trying to mimic having not more than five grams of sugar in the blood, which is, I believe, what nature intended. Yeah, and um, I remember from your one uh, talk, you said um, it was five grams of total carbs, not net carbs. So I do 20 grams of total carbs, okay, which should yield my blood sugar content staying in like around 65, my fasting blood sugar. Okay. So that so that uh, is one of your main sort of biomarkers that you're going after is is checking your your glucose level, and especially postprandial, so after eating too, you want to make sure that do you get into that kind of testing? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm a I'm a numbers geek again, bio fellow biohacker. <laughs> so uh, you know, I test my blood ketones. Um, there's a new test 
that I just got in the mail um, called Keto Mojo, which is a new test for serum blood ketones and also serum glucose. And the test strips that I've had to buy for the last five years were $5 each. And so that was really hard on my client's budget, on my budget. Um, But these new test strips are only 99 cents. So it's going to be a game changer. And that measures two. Both glucose. Yeah, both blood glucose. And, and so the magic for me, um, I use blood glucose to test my reaction to a certain food. Like, let's say you ate uh, coconut cream, which a lot of ketogenic recipes have coconut cream in it, the fatty part at the top of coconut milk. Mm-hmm. And you'll metabolize that as pure fat due to the testing with your serum glucose. You're going to test two hours after you ate that item. For me, anything that involves coconut drives my blood sugar wild. And so without testing for, you know, your metabolic differences, um, that's how I use glucose testing. People use it in different ways, but that's one of the main reasons I use either that or a blood uh, breath ketone tester Mm -hmm. um, does the same kind of thing. And then I test uh, at about six o'clock every night, which is six hours after my lunch meal is when I test uh, serum blood ketones every day. So you keep that your ketone measurement time the same every day? And I basically do six hours after my midday meal. Okay. Because what I want to do is test my food reaction to that meal, and then also I use blood ketones as kind of like your overall barometer of how you're doing. Because you can have low blood glucose, and you can have good uh, acetoacetate on your breath tester, and your blood ketones are not high. You've got mm. to have all of them be in a good range. I did. Um, I had Michelle Lundell from Ketonics on, um, mm-hmm. which is the, the the measuring tool you were mentioning, and he did say how um, he found there it's it's not this, it's not a linear graph. So it's not as if your your blood ketone levels, your beta hydroxybutyrate goes up, and therefore your your breath ketones go up at the same time. It's it's that uh, he feels that as you become more ketogenic, that you could actually become more efficient with the with the blood ketones. So you can actually have what looks like low blood ketone levels, but but you're actually in a good state of ketosis because you could see that through your breath acetone. So exactly. and, you, and you you found the exact. That's why I found fascinating. You found the same results, didn't you? Oh, definitely. And what I really stress to people is that being in ketosis or therapeutic ketosis for cancer has to be high beta hydroxybutyrate, which is the blood ketones. Then it has to be high acetoacetate, which is, you know, testing with ketonics with breath ketones. And then also low serum glucose, because you can actually have the first two without low serum glucose. Because if you have high ketones, but you also have high glucose, something's off in your diet Mm. and there's enough sugar still to be fed to those cancer cells and and vice versa for those three. And then there's two other legs of the five-legged stool, I call it, which is really a food quality for cancer has to be paramount. So the fourth leg is that you've got to have really high, good ketone uh, inducing fats, and most people do, are not eating enough fat. And then you've also got to have high quality vegetables uh, that are building the antioxidants and the polyphenols to rebuild the healthy cells. And 
you also have to make sure they're non-toxic, they're organic. And then a lot of people miss their water source. And so an easy way for those that are in the U.S., I don't know if you have this yet, is ewg.org. You can click on the National Tap Water Database, Database and you can see all the carcinogens in your water. So really getting a good water filter is paramount. Yeah. Yeah, I would I'd agree. Luckily, where I live, uh, I'm on a little island. And so, um, yeah, they don't play, we don't have fluoride and they don't play too much with our water. And But we we use a home water filtration system too because uh, municipal water or, you know, government water, yeah, it's it's up to a standard. But as you're saying, you actually want a, a higher standard of your drinking water too to make sure that you can remove a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's amazing what's in our water. When that database came out, it's petrifying. It'll it'll show you how many carcinogens are in your water, like yeah. today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, uh, no yeah. wonder we're so sick. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I read a, a recent article uh, again. I think this was in the US to do with three um, M, and it was you know a particular chemical that they were dumping into water supply, and it's how profuse it is across the west coast of the states. I believe it was, and you know. The the case, it was a lawyer story. So yeah, you want <laughs> you want to take yeah. care of take care of your water. Um, take care of your water and and really know where your food came from and yeah. who grew it and what they put on it. Like I as a farmer, I can't stress this enough. Is you know buying blindly your food these days is is not a good idea. You really want to talk face to face with who raised your meat and who raised your vegetables and and know how they did it. So that that's um, the one question I want to ask because so you were vegetarian for a long time and you went vegan. You eat meat now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so everybody's different. Um, this is a great example of genetic variability. When um, I had my blood tested, my ferritin is really, really low. And we could do a whole segment on leaky gut. But almost every single person with uh, cancer has either low ferritin, super leaky gut, or they still have leaky gut, but it's masked by either a genetic condition called genetic hemochromatosis, which is over absorption of iron in the body, uh, which originated from the Irish potato famine. I don't know if you know that. So my husband has genetic hemochromatosis um, from his Irish heritage. And so he he needs to eat like almost zero red meat and stick to eggs, chicken, turkey, and fish because his body stores ferritin. My body does not store ferritin and I can eat red meat every day. So we really can't make, again, go back to this personalization thing is the diet needs to be made like based on everybody's blood work and see how their vitamin D3 is, how their calcium levels are, um, how their ferritin level is, how is their immune system functioning? Um, do they have high heavy metals in their body? You know, you can see all these markers, um, but Dr. Nesha is a wizard. She has determined how to determine if you're, you have things like B6 deficiency and B12 deficiency, because if you take a B12 test, a B12 test is circulating uh, B12 in your bloodstream. Well, circulating B12 in our bloodstream doesn't help anybody. We want to know how it gets into the cells. So 
she looks at um, MCV, MCHC, and MCH, uh, three tests in your standard CDC, CMP blood work that you get at a health fair will show you how that uptake of the B12 is going into the cells. And nine out of 10 times, we find that people were born uh, when we do their DNA tests, uh, we're born without basically the receptor for vitamin B12. It, it can float around the body, but it won't go into the cells. Okay. So, so you know, any vegetarian who has that uh, deficiency is going to be in a big, big quandary, right? Mm-hmm. And so do, do you find you need to take B12 injections? No, I don't. So I was only born with half uh, from my mother or my father. You can't tell on the test of, of the gene that uh, allows for the absorption of vitamin B12. Um, I have to take a specific type of B12 because of my genetic uh, mutation. So I have to take the hydroxy form of B12. And so a lot of people are taking uh, cyanocoblatamin or methylcoblatamin. Every single person is different. One, do they have the genetic mutation for B12? Two, is it expressing itself in their blood work? Three, what type of B12 should you take based on what your genes say? And so all the supplements that I take basically now are things that I was like born without. So like I was born without the receptor for vitamin uh, D3 from my mother and my father. I was born without any enzymes to manufacture, uh, uh, to process folic acid. So I have to take five methylfolate every day. Um, actually eating kale and broccoli, which should be very anti-carcinogenic, carcinogenic, were actually um, causing me to uh, grow tumor cells in my body, possibly because I had an inability to process what's in uh, those products. And it's a sulfur uh, gene processing problem. Wow. So you just said that you found two particular vegetables you can't eat because they actually... Are... I couldn't eat them in the beginning. Um, yeah. And it was, it, there's a long list of foods that contain sulfur. Sulfur is essential for the body to carry waste products out. It basically helps take out the trash. So if you drink toxic drinking water, then, you know, you eat some sulfur foods, which is why kale and broccoli are so amazing. They pull those toxins, they dump them into the urine stream and, and they go bye bye. What happens when you have my mutation, which is called a CBS mutation, your body doesn't do that correctly because it's missing 5-methylfolate. Normal people will convert folic acid to 5-methylfolate and then it's a sort of chemical uh, it's, it's too long to get into, mm -hmm. um, but it, my body was not taking out the trash. And if you look at people's bodies who have this enzyme, they have a lot of neurological problems. Um, you see this gene a lot in aut autism, Alzheimer's, um, Parkinson's, and brain cancer. So what I'm hearing here is a lot of complicated chemical pathways that in reality, a normal person is not going to be able to sort of know. And this is where a functional medicine doctor like yours or you, what you've trained yourself to do now is going to be more necessary. Um, you're going to need that level of coaching, I can see. Yeah, it, and it's very hard. I have searched the world over for another doctor like my Dr. Nisha, and she probably doesn't want any more business either. Um, 
but almost nobody is cross-referencing the way she reads blood work with the client history with DNA. And I actually don't know any keto diet coaches. Um, I would, I need to train like a hundred of them that can read the blood work and the DNA as well, because it's just as important to cater the cancer treatment to the person as it is to cater the ketogenic diet to the person. And, and no normal person should understand anything that I'm saying. Yeah. You know, that's why it's so important that this is a scientific process. And we stop doing this like guessing game, like, oh, I have this, I should do this, you know. Sure, it's not going to hurt you to attempt the ketogenic diet yourself. But if you have a glioblastoma, uh, brain cancer, and you don't have the benefit of time, yeah, yeah, you know, you're going to want to. Yeah, you you bring out the nuclear guns. You try you try hit it with everything. <laughs> they do hit it with everything, and um, I'm very. It, it's it's very difficult to watch someone to go down that pathway because they're not the same person when they're done with that treatment. Yeah, yeah, now, with the the radiotherapy. The radiotherapy to the head is a really different animal, and and so you've never had that again. You've you've never had you to experience. My family it. was trying to talk me into it, and I think I think what saved me was my spreadsheet, which maybe you saw yeah. in uh, some of the presentations, which was showing like you could literally watch the mitochondrial repair, you know, happen in front of your very eyes. You could watch my inflammation coming down. You could watch my blood sugar coming down. You could watch my kidneys start to function. You could watch my leaky gut being healed. Like it was all there. And my doctors were like, what are you doing? Like, this is amazing. Like blood work doesn't change like this. And I'm like, uh, you know, I know you guys can't talk about it because Anybody with an AMA, an American Medical Association license, if they talk about the ketogenic diet in their office, they can lose their license in the United States. Wow. So, you know, I can't talk with this. Uh, with most of my orchestra, um, I leave out critical information. But, yeah. you know, I keep my orchestra. It's good, it's good to have everybody on board, you know. Yeah, I'm sure the oncologist who had to do the – or the, the neurosurgeon who had to do your brain surgery – he must be blown away you're still here to, to this day. Yeah, you know, they actually, they keep calling me to come in and get a PET scan. And this year they stopped calling me because I I now, I, I was so freaked out by my PET scan that I now use thermograms to track um, cancer, any potential cancer or hot spots in the rest of my body. And it's really amazing. Like I went keto for cancer, but I I had no idea that I had all these other health problems. Like mm -hmm. I had, I didn't know I had polycystic ovarian syndrome. I didn't know I had Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I knew I had breast fibroids and that they were, you know, mammogramming the living daylights out of me, giving me lots of radiation for that. You know, all those things disappeared, you know, and it was kind of mind blowing because all of my doctors, you know, whether it's an endocrinologist or, you know, they all say that PCOS is irreversible. Hashimoto's is irreversible. You're going to be on drugs for the rest of your life. And then they're like, well, it's gone. How is that possible? Like, you know, that's why I'm hooked on the ketogenic diet. I mean, not just to, you know, conquer cancer, but, you know, really to prevent all these major diseases of modern insanity. Mm -hmm. 
And, mm-hmm. and so have you, I, I guess you've tweaked your keto diets because um, I did actually have um, – there's an organization in the UK, Matthew's Friends. Yeah. Um, there's a lady called em- Emma Williams. And she yeah, was I met- her. Mm-hmm. And so Emma, Emma shared with us how um, with Matthew and children um, with epilepsy that they'll put them on a very strict therapeutic ketogenic diet. So low pro, you know, quite low in protein, very, very high in fat, but they'll only do that for a period of time. And then you don't have to stay in that state forever. Have you found the same with brain cancer that you, are you, do you still have to be in a very strict therapeutic range where like the epilepsy treatment or do you, is that for a period of time and then you wean back a bit so it's not so strict you know through a lot of experience um not just with myself but with other people especially sugar loving cancers like brain cancer um i can't tell you how many people have gone like relaxed their diet to like i'm gonna eat sweet potatoes and a lot of times the tumors came back within a month of doing that so yeah no um relaxing because it's it's interesting i track um, my lab so closely every month so i do have a chance to like experiment with a couple things oh well i experiment like crazy on myself but like yesterday i had three bites of purple potatoes because i just wanted to see what would happen and my fasting blood glucose is was 66 in the morning Normally, after eating keto, even my keto ice cream, all my yummy stuff, um, you know, my blood sugar will stay below 79. Um, Three bites of potatoes and my blood sugar went to 114. So my body just cannot process even small amounts of sugar. And that could be my DNA. But it could also be that we were never designed to have large amounts of carbohydrates all the time. I mean, you look at history, we haven't been eating grains for very long. We haven't been farming for very long. You know, when I'm out hunting and I'm in the woods and I'm gathering foods and living off the land, I'm not eating carbohydrates. You know, you can't find giant purple potatoes in the woods, right? So I do think part of it is our evolution. And then somebody had a great saying at KetoCon, I think, was, you know, we're being bombarded by hormones, estrogens, um, endocrine disruptors, toxic chemicals every day. They're saying if you just wake up in the morning and go to the bank, the post office and the grocery store and come back, you've been exposed to between 100 and 200 chemicals in that short trip. I don't think our bodies, our bodies are completely overwhelmed now. And unfortunately, you know, I ate um, like a traditional carboholic for 48 years. So what I'm doing is undoing 48 years of damage to my body, which is why I think I have to be so strict. Mm. You know, the other thing is, is we have, I can't remember the statistic of how many uh, circulating cancer cells a normal healthy human has. It's in the millions. And, and so everybody has cancer. And so I think about that a lot. And I think our stem cells produce somewhere between 500 and 2,000 cancer cells every day. Cancer's part of our life. So what we do in any given day can give cancer cells that opportunity or not. And the problem with all these toxins in our food and air and water 
is that those cancer cells have a lot of continuous opportunity. And so we have to kind of undo that part, um, which is what the ketogenic diet does so brilliantly. I'll never forget when, uh, when I fully finally got my ketones, you know, in the three to seven range, which is what I do for, you know, my type of cancer or anybody else with metastatic, um, severe cancers, you want to have the ketones quite high. Uh, first I went through the keto flu, which sucks. Everybody, you know, it's awful. But then I went through a crazy, like almost a month of like a detox process of when the fat is high and the glucose is low, all those cells that I've been storing crap in for 48 years, literally insulin is gatekeeper. So when insulin comes down and those cells, those old cells open, um, all the stuff comes flooding out, estrogen, you know, mercury, you know, you name it. And so you feel, I felt really terrible. And I see this happen with a lot of my clients is we're literally detoxing with the ketogenic diet, which is something we can't do even on the paleo diet, which is why I think I wasn't seeing the results on the paleo diet is I had been drinking toxic drinking water for 25 years. And that needed to come out of my body. And so it took, you know, all my scans didn't show that much process, progress when I was eating only one cup of fat a day. It really took when I got to like two and a half cups of fat a day and my glucose got really low, my ketones got really high, that all those toxins had a chance to get out. And do you do fasting too? I do intermittent fasting, still um, drinking tea with the, uh, very miserable for me because I had the gene that doesn't process caffeine. So oh, no. I, I can cry about that <laughs> almost every day. <laughs> um, but I, I do allow myself a little bit of uh, decaf uh, coffee ice cream every now and then. Um, so uh, that's my treat. But yeah, I don't eat until my first meal about uh, 12 or 1 every day. And then I try to get all my food into a six-hour window. So try to have the first meal, 12 or 1, second meal, 6 o'clock or so. And so then fasting in the morning, fasting in the evening. Whenever I'm traveling, I've just found that when I'm in the airport, it's easier to just do like a fast, a long fast while traveling because I have so much trouble and security that I now pack three coolers in uh, my check-in luggage with all my fats and I freeze them and I check them um, on the airline. And then I have a nice light carry-on, go for a fast while I'm flying, and then I gorge on fat when I get there. Okay. Yeah, because I saw that you're also keen on circadian rhythms. You know, it's one of Nisha's top 10, you know. Uh, you know, we've got hormones, thyroid, circadian rhythms. Like, so going, waking up with the sun and going to bed with the sun, like, that even though I'm a farmer, I was never, I was always a night owl. And I really had to change that um, because our body is designed to, you know, do what Laura Ingalls Wilder did on Little House on the Prairie, you know. And I've really noticed, what I've really noticed is a change in my sleep quality and how I feel, my energy level. And I think probably the most mind-blowing change I've had is actually through uh, reducing my cortisol by uh, starting meditation. And that, that happened on year four. 
And my blood sugar was actually going up because my cortisol was going up, which was driving my insulin up, even though I was eating ketogenic perfectly. And my doctor was like, I've been telling you this for four years, you know, it's time to buck up. And uh, so I finally did start in four weeks of meditation. My cortisol dropped in half, my insulin dropped, my HDA1C dropped, and my blood sugar dropped. So how did you meditate to do that? Because it's, it's not just sitting there quietly, is it? And that, no, and, and, everybody's and you think, different. Um, oh, the, two things, <laughs> the two things that work for me, I go to uh, two different meditation classes, one on Monday nights and one on Tuesday nights. So having someone that can guide you and give you inspiration is really helpful. And, you know, it's like finding a good yoga teacher. You know, you have to find the like right fit for you. Um, some people don't like instruction. Some people would rather listen to an app on their phone. Um, I don't use a cell phone anymore because I got my tumor like right where my cell phone was. So cell phone is just for emergency purposes only, or I can turn on the map function or make a call from very far away. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I use another uh, app that I can do an airplane mode on my phone called HeartMath. And it's a little thing that clicks uh, clips onto my ear. Have you seen it before? It's a biofeedback. Yeah, I've got one. I've got the, the older <laughs> unit where you can put your thumb on or, you, yeah, you get the, yes, the ear exactly. clip. Yeah. So that's been really good. I mean, I think you just got to try everything and you just watch your cortisol. And all of a sudden when your cortisol comes down, then you know you found what's right for you. And that I, I love that part of what you're saying here because a lot of people just latch onto one aspect, like the diet, for example. But yeah. that, as you mentioned earlier, that's just one layer of the onion of the story. Exactly. And a big part, this your story there with the meditation sort of reminds me of when um, Malcolm Gladwell was talking about, uh, I believe it was the village Rosetta or Ro- Roswell, uh, one of the two, but. He, that was I don't know if you know that story where he was saying no. so that with that one it was um I tried to do it quickly but it was but it was an Italian Italian families that came from Italy to America for for um, a better life but they split in two so one one half of the Italian group went up into the mountains created their own village one half stayed down in the typical town and the GPs the the the, um, the family doctors down in the town said they ne- they never saw any men from the village with heart disease but they used to see the men in the town with heart disease and they could never understand why there was a difference and they did this big research project and when they whittled it all down they said it didn't it wasn't the diet because they they both ate american diets now it wasn't because they didn't smoke because they both were smoking all the the only factor was the men the men in the village still lived the italian life of the mamas the papas and they socialized mm. so for me what that told me was that level of happiness um that mental aspect has a massive metabolic effect on the body and like what you're doing there with yeah. you're dealing with that and so to get your cortisol levels down and your and your insulin control and your glucose was actually that sort of mindfulness, that meditation, whatever it is to get you in a mentally happier space too. Yeah. I mean, you know, they always say stress can tell, kill you, but they never say how. So it's really interesting to look at the how. And the other interesting component of cancer is not just we have um, like stress, biorhythms, sleep all, all together. And we have, Nisha has uh, emotional well-being as another entire chapter of cancer, because it's amazing how much grief and loss and abuse factor into a lot of cancers. 
So unresolved something Mm -hmm. uh, in our past um, can really drive uh, metastasis of cancer. And we've seen this happen over and over again. Everybody will have like the perfect diet. They're meditating, they're, you know, exercising and walking, but they're not exercising too much. You know, they've resolved all these things in their life and there's just an elephant in the living room. And it's really important like to have no stone unturned. And there were a lot of things I didn't, a lot of stones I didn't want to turn over in my own cancer process. And, uh, you know, I went and did EFT, if anybody knows, a little tapping technique. And uh-huh. How did you uh, find that? Uh, Nisha, my doctor, she was like, you need EFT. And I'm like, what's EFT? And she's like, go figure it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was great because I think I'd had a lot of psychotherapy for, you know, my past traumas, but I'd never really processed them emotionally. Um, and, and somehow... EFT is great because you can feel the emotion like it's happening. Like I remember being nine years old, locked in this bathroom, crying and being traumatized. And when I, when I did EFT, I went like, I was like in that person that my body, like at nine years old, it sounds crazy, but I felt the emotions like so strongly for the first time since I was nine And then through the end of the EFT process, at the end of every session, you choose to let go of that feeling and move on and say, I am a good person. I love myself and this and that. And I think some type of process to clear those type of things from your life is critical for cancer. Hmm. Yeah, I I definitely want to get someone on who knows about tapping because from what I've seen externally, it's it's incredible what some of the results people get when they're just tapping on themselves repeatedly and and repeating a word and then they break down. (laughs) You would never imagine, and it melts down even like tough people like me. So yeah, and then you 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 touched a bit on how you were an extreme sport person, and even that you found you had to biohack and actually peel back and and back off because it wasn't. It was it was affecting your body negatively. Yeah, it was interesting. It was October after my diagnosis. I had my brain surgery in July. And I think this happens to almost everybody I see with cancer is we get the diagnosis, we're devastated, we decide on a treatment plan, and then we're like, okay, you know, a couple months out. I'm going to go back to normal because that's all I want. And you're, you're having a hard time with cancer. Cancer sucks, right? And you're grasping at what you used to have because you're like, that's going to define whether you're better or whether you're not better because you kind of want to prove to everybody, Hey, look at me. I, I've conquered cancer. And so in October, which was so July, August, September, October, four months after my surgery, I decided I would start running again. And the doctor told even my neurologist and oncologist told me not to run, that it was bad for my tumor. And um, Dr. Nasha, of course, was like, you know, don't do that. And uh, I was like, OK, I'm going to do that anyway, because that's what I do. I'm, I'm completely defined by what I do. And uh, I went out and did like a couple really easy jobs and got my blood work that month. And it was absolutely terrible. All my inflammation markers went back up. Uh, HSCRP, the heart disease marker, lactate dehydrogenase, sedimentation rates, 
um, even my blood sugar went up and I couldn't figure out why. And now I know why, because when you get sore, that's lactic acid and lactic acid, guess what it converts to sugar. So every time you exercise and you're sore, you're feeding potential cancer cells. So what I do is I exercise like a pregnant person is what I call it now. I'm always able to chat. I wear a Fitbit and you keep my heart rate below 100, whereas before I was trying to, you know, peg it. Um, I don't do any chronic cardio anymore. I finally, at about year two, I realized that I was an addict to exercise in the way that people are an addict to heroin Mm. or carbohydrates, you know? Um, And so I really, what's great about the ketogenic diet is, you know, I can eat my keto ice cream fat bomb every day. You know, I can have all these great treats and my, my weight, I've always struggled with my weight my whole life. And I use exercise to keep my weight in check so I could eat all those carbs. Now I can just, walk the dogs every day, you know, people can do some high intensity interval training, like 12 minutes, three times a week. You know, that's been shown to very, very anti carcinogenic and anti inflammatory. Um, but you know, we weren't meant to be on an exercise bicycle in a gym, um, going away like a rat in a cage. Mm. So yeah, I think it feeds back into the, into that stress cycle. You know, you sort of not only physically, but as you said, you were trying to deal with something, you're using the physical to deal with something mental too. So there was a deep, there was a deeper picture there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was always just insecure with myself and I was this fat dorky math geek biohacker that um, became like this world champion extreme skier to prove everybody to everybody else that I was okay. And I think what's the most amazing gift about cancer is I found this like new normal, like right in the middle, that's just so beautiful and so much more peaceful. And I can do one thing at a time now. And I enjoy like the little moments in life you know, everything is just really special and it's slower and more even and balanced. And I never had that. It was always just one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're coming up onto our time here. I can see, um, I think you've shared so many good points from the basic symptoms to the treatment to your, your sort of, let's call it alternates. Cause it, you know, compared to the mainstream medicine, medical approach. Futuristic. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, your futuristic approach. Um, and yeah, you've you've only just touched on some of the aspects and there's so much more. Now I I know that you do coaching and you but you you're swamped and you can't take on any more clients really. Uh but if anyone wants to follow you in any way, um what are the best resources, the best online resources to to keep in touch with what you're up to? Um I'm cooking to conquer cancer on Facebook. That's a great way to follow my rants and ravings on uh, the keto diet. Uh, What are some, you know, ketogenic diet resource and it's ketogenic dash diet dash resource.com is a great worldwide resource that kind of talks about the ketogenic diet. You can click on cancer, Alzheimer's, heart disease. You you can click on each different thing and, and it'll give you the whole science behind how it works and why in that particular application. I love that website. Um, Optimal Terrain Consulting is my doctor's website, Dr. Nisha Winters. 
Um, she has so many resources on there. She has links to doctors that um, people can contact in their own area because you do need a good, um, you need a, a really good team. And it, you know, it can be your oncologist, it can be your GP, it can be your radiologist, all those people then, you know, add Dr. Nasha and then add a good functional medicine or an integrative me medicine person that's near you that can help guide you in. Because when you get your report from Dr. Nasha and it's like 70 pages long, you're like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, this is a lot. So you want help from your friends and your family. And as far as the ketogenic diet goes, there's a lot of misinformation out there on the internet because it's almost always ketogenic for weight loss or strength training, which is between 65 and 75% carbs. I mean, fat, sorry. Um, ketogenic diet for cancer has to be at 85% or higher for carbs with much, or with fat, sorry, with much higher uh, quantities of healthy, you know, organic and, uh, you know, really good keto fats in and a variety of keto fats and a variety of vegetables. You can't just eat the same thing every day. Um, and, you know, we really emphasize trying to get four to even nine cups of vegetables a day into the ketogenic diet for cancer, um, the way Dr. Nasha and I do it, um, because we believe rebuilding the healthy body is as important as conquering the cancer cells. And so a great way to track that is chronometer.com, C-R-O, chrono, C-R-O-N-O-M-E-T-E-R, chronometer.com. And then you can adjust the settings so that it says uh, high fat, uh, ketogenic, and then adjust the settings so that it says uh, rigorous as your uh, default setting. And I, t I tell you, if people are using chronometer and they're using it correctly and they're ketone testing and blood glucose testing, I tell you, it, testing is what makes the difference. Tracking is what makes the difference. You know, this is cancer we're talking about. And we can't do any like guessing. Um, mm -hmm. Guessing doesn't work when it comes to cancer. Yeah. And, and Joel, you, do you have a like a ketogenic cookbook or anything that you... You know, I don't. Um, I've been asked to do one, but I'm worried about my cortisol levels. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I do have a lot of recipes that I have invented. Um, uh, I would suggest, um, since my cookbook's not out yet, it will be someday. Uh, Maria Emmerich's uh, cookbooks, especially the 30-day ketogenic cleanse, is really good because it doesn't have dairy. Um, the reason most people, when we test their IGF-1, which is uh, a growth factor in, that shows up high for a lot of cancers, um, if it's over 100, then we want people off dairy. And I would say about 85% of people have high IGF-1. So if you're the lucky person and yours is below 100, then you can eat dairy, all, you know, high fat, high fat, no carb dairy. Um, but if you can't, then, you know, Maria Emmerich's book is great, you know, making, it's really awesome to be able to make ice cream. I can, I have a genetic mutation, so I can't eat like coconut oil. So I, I had to make a new kind of ice cream that was dairy free and coconut free, which, um, and yeah. high in fat and high in fat. So, yeah. Interesting. So you gotta, uh, her cookbooks are amazing. She's really been a mentor for me, but again, a lot of that stuff is for weight loss. So you want to disrespect 
disregard the part about calories being, you know, whatever low, um, you know, you want to put in chronometer, like I want to gain weight, maintain weight or lose weight. Mm. And, uh, if, if I do have any space for people, they can contact me at alisongannett.com. At least you can see, you know, my videos and my story and maybe inspire some of your relatives that aren't quite there yet. And, uh, Miriam uh, Kalmian is an incredible uh, keto diet coach. She can be found online and uh, also remission nutrition. I think it's dot com. Uh, she co-authored the book Jess Kelly with Dr. Nisha Winters, which is the metabolic approach to cancer. Um, so there's there's three good diet coaches for people out there. And uh what was I going to say? It was something. Oh, yeah. So if you're lost about ketogenic diet, Tripping Over the Truth is a great book about uh, why the ketogenic diet works as far as the science goes. And then the book I just mentioned, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. That's what Jess Kelly and Dr. Nisha Winters wrote together. And it talks about the 10 different areas uh, that drive cancer. And I think we've talked about so many today. And I really appreciate you um, bringing those up because I think a lot of people don't really understand that how important it is. Mm. Yeah, and I think your analogy again with the onion. I, I tend to use a bucket analogy where um, you're, you're pouring in lots of parts into the bucket, and uh, yeah, so it's like a pie chart, and you got to think about that. So it's not just one singular element to this. Exactly. Yeah, and. I guess maybe just one last one was um, support wise. So I, I can imagine. I mean, when you get a when you get a cancer diagnosis like yours, things move fast. So um, as in your situation, get you know you had the surgery done to remove the mass, but then um, I think nowadays most people are going to turn to like a Facebook group or something. Have you found that there's sort of like a, a brain cancer keto brain cancer support group, Facebook group or something? You know, I. Um... Or do you stay clear of those? I find there's so much misinformation out there that I find that if I'm on the Facebook groups, I'm saying, hey, you guys are missing the point here. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, So, you know, Dr. Nasha is my guru. I think when I first discovered her, I had, you know, maybe 20 different like uh, approaches to cancer that I could have like passed that I should have could have gone down. And what spoke to me about her was her comprehensiveness and then also the fact that um, I was tracking my life um, and knowing what was happening to my body. And she was like, I'm going to teach you how to read your labs so that you don't need me anymore. And then I loved reading labs so much. She was like, do you want to come do this for a living? And I was like, sure, I, you know, train me. I want to be inside your brain. So I really love training with her. And I think giving people one, cancer is a process. So cancer doesn't like just happen one day and then just get fixed one day. It, it takes time to happen and it takes time to fix. And I know, luckily, I had the gift of time because I was recovering from surgery. But when people are recovering from surgery, because most people can take a deep breath, order some books, Make an appointment with Dr. Nasha, find a ketogenic diet coach. You know, you have time. You know, the, the doctors ask them that question that we talked about in the beginning of this show. 
um, you have time to do some research. You know, chemo's, whether you have chemo on Tuesday or two weeks from Tuesday, you know, cancer doesn't really care if you're starving those cancer cells. Yeah. Great so, point. Um, you know, put the power in your own hands. I think if I wasn't tracking my labs and I didn't see those things that I needed to tweak, I would feel really vulnerable and that I would just go in for those MRIs like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? Is the cancer going to be back? I go into my MRIs now, like thinking about surfing on vacation because I I know what the MRI is going to say because I know what my labs look like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's such a, a great mindset to come back now. So you, you do still have regular scans to, to monitor what's happening in your brain, but yeah. um, I think most people would just latch onto that and, and only focus on that as a major parameter but you you then decided right that's just one part but i need to focus on these these other elements that are actually going to get me better rather than yeah, just if looking you're not at- tracking like how your mitochondria is doing and how your inflammation is doing you know and how your ketones are doing you know you're just playing russian roulette you know yeah. you don't want to give cancer that opportunity you want to have the power in your own hands to track your own health. And I think the best part about the ketogenic diet that we didn't talk about is like, if I had a choice to choose any diet in the world right now, I would choose the keto diet because I feel so good. My health problems are all gone. A benefit with the brain cancer not happening. And it tastes so good, you know, and it really, um, thanks to people like Maria Emmerich with you know, creating recipes that are delicious, you know, so that we can, you know, thrive on this diet and not be deprived of pizza and ice cream. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Alison, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge bombs about cancer today. But also, you know, um, I don't know if anyone said to you, but, you know, just well done on what you've achieved. And it's going to sound, I guess, weird, but well done for living so long after such a terminal <laughs> diagnosis. Well, um, that's what my doctors would like to say, but they yeah, never can. Because it's stories like yours that inspire people, and that's why I hope I can help in any way just to share your story to other people who may be in your similar situation to empower them with a bit more information that they can make a better decision in the situation that that they're in exactly and and you know that that's why you know my check engine light has been on my whole life and i just kept putting tape over it and you know you finally get the big c word and then it's like okay now i've got a deal and uh you know it is a blessing i i had a lot of things i needed to fix in my life and my life is 100 percent better than it used to be and cancer really has been a gift Oh, fantastic. Um, Yeah, thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you for having me.